Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with cellist George Karate. He reached out to the show about his new 2024 CD, Inner Nature, due out on April 1, 2024. His new project evokes a lush cello garden abloom with cross-pollinators of Baroque, Celtic, and contemporary sounds that open the heart of the listener. He is a product of the Berklee College of Music, and he's had quite a journey with a lot more in store. Enjoy. George, nice to meet you. You too. Thank you for uh, the invitation. Yeah, yeah, thanks for reaching out, and I'm looking forward to peeling back the layers of the brand new album and your life and music, but before we get to Inner Nature, I'm curious, how did you survive the last, I mean, we're getting on the four-year anniversary of the pandemic, as an artist, how did you get through that time period, and how did it ultimately change you? That's a great question. Um, uh, I guess what I'd, I'd like to share is, uh, composition is actually something that's um, that's really carried me in a multi-sided way. Uh, I have been a cellist uh, for a majority of my life, but the advantage, the silver lining in the pandemic was the time to really spend with music in a, a sense of practice and a sense of study and analysis and appreciation. Um, I was doing a lot of recording work, uh, and beyond that, it gave me a, a, a toolbox and an opportunity in a studio environment to to create a lot of music and and to listen to a lot of music in in a new way, uh, or maybe in the way that many of us came to to grow into this profession or, or build that sense of awe in, in the real sense of the word, um, reviewing material by my, my heroes and um, really coming full circle. Uh, this doesn't really have anything to do with directly with my own career, but um, I, I left the conventional path for the cello um, from a conservatory standpoint and really coming to return to the music I grew up with, like um, the Bach cello suites, for example, many people might know, and to really get to know J.S. Bach as a, um, as a composer, not just as a, a cellist, um, returning to the material with fresh ears and analyzing the music and getting inside it in a different way. Um, the more obvious part of composition is to, to be creating music and uh, the silence and some opportunity I got to spend in more green, natural parts of the country also also really helped with that. And uh, this Inner Nature EP is, is something that came out of uh, that, that time. So talk to me a little bit about what you hope the listener gets from this album. I hope anyone listening to this, this Inner Nature EP... Um, we'll take the opportunity to to really stop and and be present in in the biggest sense. Uh, this very short and uh, sweet um, the pun might not translate so well to <laughs> to radio, but this this very short, intricate studio creation is really my meaning to convey very powerful emotional experiences I had um, and I guess opening one's heart um, or kind of going to your happy place 
is is what I would like people to experience listening to this uh, because my process of writing and the creating this music for people is was done from that place for me. So speaking of that, that happy place, how did this journey into the music begin for you? How did you, how did it happen? Uh, like I said, and um, there's kind of a sense of quiet and uh, I'm grateful for a sense, an opportunity in, in nature that I had. And the title came to me later, but titling the, the piece inner nature was, was that, um, sense of almost a reset, uh, getting to, to live out in, in the trees for a little while. And I think a lot of this music really came to me on its own. The, the tropes of modernity and electricity were uh, kind of washed away and reset and feeling this sense of real kind of presence and feeling like um like a clean page almost at, at different moments. These melodies that I turned into the music we can hear now really presented themselves um, on, on their own. And I think that was my responsibility to um, receive them and you know, tra- transmit it and, and make something out of out of the ideas. So ultimately, in the very beginning of your life, where were you born and raised, and and how did you begin picking up an instrument and getting interested in it? I was born and raised in Toronto, Canada, and uh, I'm a dual citizen. My mom's from California, and there was a little bit of family back and forth. Um, my earliest memories are in Los Angeles, and. Uh, I was so young at the age of four, I don't clearly remember this in my own life. But my best friend at the time played the cello, and we're actually still in touch. We both live in New York City now, and uh, I wouldn't drop it. As you know, from the age of like four until six, I I begged my parents, and um, there is legacy of music and and art in in the family, so they kind of knew what to do with me and. Eventually, um, they found me a Suzuki cello teacher uh, outside Toronto, and uh, that was 2001. Um, I really don't know what I would be doing with myself. Uh, Otherwise, I went to a vocational music school, and then uh, I studied uh, at Berklee College of Music in Boston. So my whole life has really been inside music, um, focused on the cello, but, but a journey in into different worlds of music besides that. It's it's not been easy. I'll say many people who study uh, performance art could, I think, could generally relate to that. Um, but specifically, many orchestral instruments are in a real time of, of reckoning in terms of relevance to the general population. Um, or appreciation, I might say. There's kind of a, a cultural disconnection that I think at its core has become a, a social class issue, which is unfortunate. But beyond that, people can't really connect to the art. And uh, out of touch with this, conservatories are training people for jobs that no longer exist. Uh, opera houses are closing, and uh, it's a shame, but um, we're a service industry and we need to create um, art for people. We don't make art for ourselves and for our colleagues, I don't think. And 
while this idea I'm riffing on is not what the 18-year-old George had in mind when he wanted to go to jazz school, um, I went for very creative and emotional reasons. I didn't really connect to classical music at the time, and it turns out it was the way it was taught. Um, I, I didn't feel safe and empowered in that institutional environment. And I've come later to to really connect and appreciate that music on its own. But it was a creative intuition that took me where it has. And I think the advantage of that is um, I've gotten to really travel to different musical worlds um, all over and find a way to understand a community or people um, through the music and find ways, things we have in common through it and also really create something that's relevant to people in the 21st century um, who don't love talking about J.S. Bach or, or film scores or, um, you know, traditional Irish music, um, but still offering something that, that is immediately accessible and enjoyable which I think is our responsibility as artists to bring people together, to teach us about ourselves and, and to be present and to, to vibrate and resonate together. So what was the first live show that you saw that really blew you away that made you think that you wanted to be a performer one day or really moved you? There's a, f- a few. If, um, truly the earliest memories, even if they're not the most actually crystalline, two that come to mind are... Uh, a Canadian fiddler named Ashley McIsaac, who is quite outside the box and eccentric and almost a bit of a rock and roller, um, an East Coaster who had that kind of fire and, and energy and permission to just kind of be a badass and um, and to be playful. And I think that when I was a young boy playing in an orchestra, that was, he was everything that I, I wanted to be, but didn't know how to be. Um, a little bit later in high school, I got to see Yo-Yo Ma play with the Toronto Symphony and uh, the epitome of uh, grace and pluralism uh, is, I think, what he's done. And what I really relate to Yo-Yo, why he's such a hero to so many people, is that he's championed the cello in its home arena. And like other people, like Pablo Casals, he's ascending to... Um, activism to diplomacy um to humanity through through his music and that's what i'm like many of us really reach for and and try to keep close so that's not directly relevant to like maybe craft and uh storytelling but um it it was a a show of the ultimate potential we can have um playing playing cello so i i always keep that close so as a professional musician, what do you like the best about it? What wakes you up in the morning? What gets you motivated? There's all kinds of aspects that go into it, but what is it that you hold on to the most? I'll, I'll say there's two things. Um, the most um, present is the sound itself. And I do have moments where I'm practicing anything, and I really stop and am moved by, wow, this is a beautiful instrument. I love the sound of this thing. And keeping that close is important uh, to me. But more broadly for everybody, um, in the larger sense of music, 
as an improviser um, in in jazz or jazz related settings, there's a real sense of risk and a real sense of trust between the performers and and the performers with the audience. And that's something that I really feed off of. And it's not even so much about, you know, what licks am I going to get into my solo or um, just this vulnerability that um, despite a plan, things are going to go a certain way and um, we're, we're going to get through it and we're going to, we're going to feel these things together. And we, we don't take, we don't take it for granted. And that, that kind of openness and excitement and curiosity is, what I like to keep close as well as a performer and an improviser. So if you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see a dream gig, whether it's in jazz or otherwise, what would be the one show you would love to go back to and see? Wow. Uh, just, <laughs> can I just give you one? Um, <laughs> yeah, there are things I'd like to see at the Vanguard and things other people might identify with sooner, but, I think in context, keeping this close to the cello, the one uh, the one show I would love to see live is the Turtle Island String Quartet at the Montreal Jazz Festival. Um, I believe in the early 90s, but I would have to check um, what year they headlined that. And uh, for people who don't know, Turtle Island is a kind of multi-generational legacy swinging quartet uh, and there's only one founding member in the quartet now. It's really become a rite of passage for many creative and straight-ahead um, string players. And not only is it fantastic art, but a lot of them are also my heroes. Um, and I've had the chance to study with them, and they've greatly informed um, my own technique and my, my tools, but the inspiration as well of, um, of what's possible. Secondly, that was an amazing show. That was, um, no, without any offense, really one of the peak moments, I think, that stands out in, in Turtle Island's career. And for those interested, I know at least parts of it are available online on YouTube. I guess so I should it, say, um, specifically, Mark Summer, the founding cellist, was uh, in the quartet at the time for most of, until recently. And he really inspired a whole generation of of cello players to learn how to improvise and play, play bass lines and all kinds of cool stuff. So um, anyways, yeah. Um, all, you know, Mark Summer, everybody, uh, big hero. Right on. So let me ask you this, George, at the end of the day, everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, fans, but ultimately you're in control. You run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? <laughs> I think I'm, uh, I think I'm a human. Um, I think, uh, I'm a, I'm a sensitive human who loves culture and languages and, uh, cooking parties and playing music with people. Um, I think I'm someone who's really curious and in touch with, um, with traditions, especially in my own uh, heritage and really exploring and appreciating that and finding ways to, to share it with people in a way that's that's relevant and accessible to to them. So 
George, if anyone wants to pick up the new album, find out about live performances, anything else about your world, where's the best place to go? I would send everybody to georgecroddy.com to check out Inner Nature and other cello music. Right on. George, this has been great. Thank you again for reaching out to the show. Thanks for taking a minute out. I really appreciate it. Best of luck with everything. My pleasure, Joe. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Boston, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to George for reaching out to the show and for his story. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Jazz.